Well, hello. Welcome back, everyone. It is Thursday, the 11th of January, 2024. Just getting used to the new year. We're back here again with Paul English Live. Welcome to the show. everyone welcome to the thursday show where we take a good long look at uh, views and news both old and new we look at the past we look at the present sometimes if we can do it we try and look at the future We're here every week on WBN 324.zil, Z-I-L, if, uh, if you're speaking English, Z-I-L, if you're speaking American. And this week we're going to be following along a little thing that's been developing over the past couple of weeks. Well, we're going to be looking at, um, oh, I think you all know, masonry in all its aspects. Well, as many as we can cover in two hours. Tell me along the way, I have a guest. He's waiting in the wings, I think. We'll be talking a little bit and I'll be bringing him on in a few minutes' time. Mr. Dennis Wise is going to be joining us for the next couple of hours. So, hi, welcome back, everyone. As I said, I just got my dates right, got the year right, 2024. Isn't that fantastic? And uh, I don't know what it's been like where you've been, but where I've been on the south coast of England, it's actually been cold. In fact, we saw some snow earlier in the week, which is a bit of a rarity down here, down south. Uh, when I was a young lad up in the north of England, snow seemed to be a more frequent occurrence. And, of course, I, uh, I remember Christmases, uh, mythically, I guess, as always being snowy. They weren't, but I tend to remember them that way. Maybe you had a few moments like that in your younger years. Or maybe you're all very young, I don't know. But uh, it's been jolly cold. I was going to swear a bit then, but there was no reason for that. It's been jolly cold, and uh, I live by the sea, and uh, I go out walking, and uh, I've had some fantastic walks this week. Somehow, I tend to like the seaside a bit more in the winter than I do in the summer. I don't know what that's all about. It's not that the summers are bad. Of course, we always grumble about that over here in the UK. And if you know anybody from England, you know that we're always moaning about the fact that the summer's never long enough, which of course it isn't. But in the winter, particularly when we get these lovely clear blue skies and there's a bit of an icy wind blowing and the waves are crashing in, there's something rather elemental about it. I uh, I have a couple of sons who have taken to uh, 
not skinny dipping, but going and swimming in the sea. And one of them was out in it the other day. I, I, he managed to last about 10 minutes. So I was quite impressed with that. Um, so that was uh, that was good fun. I get all the stories when they come back. Not shivering, of course. They're all beefing up. There's that uh, Dutch fella. What's his name? You see, I can't remember his name. But there's the Dutch fella, isn't there, who's uh, made a big deal over the last few years about freezing himself in buckets of icy cold water. Um, and I did for my sins about a year ago although I, I I took a break from it, and I've never kind of quite got back into it, but I need to, now that I'm talking about it. I um, I started taking cold showers. You ever done that? That's quite interesting. When Dennis gets on, we can talk about cold showers, if you like. Anyway, my ramblings aside, uh, this week's show really follows on from that theme that we've started. Um, actually, it really even goes back to the some of the material I've been covering or the anecdotal tales we've been going over f- regarding the French Revolution. And uh, although I haven't covered anything much from Nestor Webster's book recently, and, uh, and we're not really planning to c- go into that in great detail today, although you never know, maybe the conversation will get hijacked and we'll run into that, into that space. Um, but it's highly relevant to what we're talking about today, because the influence of certain um, departments of Freemasonry upon our history is considerable. And one of the reasons I wanted to sort of frame it around that, not that I'm obsessed with Freemasons, I don't want you to get that idea, but is that on the on the front line in terms of day-to-day actions, uh, they're very much uh, the sort of force that I think we're dealing with right now. I've mentioned here before that I suspect most of the political class um, are getting their orders from the Lodge. It's just a guess. But the reason I say that is traditionally the vast majority of MPs, politicians, heads and chiefs of police, uh, the judiciary in many, many levels, uh, from barristers and silks all the way up to judges and to solicitors, are heavily involved as masons. And of course, it tends to present itself as a benign and really rather charming little organisation that is always doing charity. And I I imagine, from a certain perspective, that's true. I've I've met people who I suppose were low-level masons, not that I'm trying to insult them, Um, and they have a very positive view of it. Um, But for those of us that have stuck our nose into history books, and my guest tonight is very much one of those people, um, and I've done quite a bit of it myself, and no doubt you too, dear listener, have from time to time stuck your nose in an online book, which prior to 1998 you didn't even know existed, that kind of thing, you will have come across a wholly different account of what it's, of what's taking place within Freemasonry. And it may always be the case, not always be the case, but it's often the case that their influence is felt not just under the name of Freemasonry, but through all sorts of other attendant and linked organisations. Anyway, that's kind of the the scene for tonight. We're going to look at anything and everything connected with that, and it does cover some pretty big stuff. Um, And I'm going to bring my guest on right now, Mr. Dennis Wise. If you don't know of him, uh, he's a gentleman who is responsible for making some very, very interesting and thought-provoking videos. So, Dennis, hi, welcome. Are you are you here with us on the show this fine evening? I would like to think so. Good evening, uh, or good <laughs> afternoon, whichever part of the world you're in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's good afternoon for listeners in uh, the US. It's just gone, what is it, just coming up to eight minutes past uh, three in the afternoon, so you've still got all the joys of tea time, as we would say, to come. Mm. It's eight o'clock here in the UK, and... Uh, 
uh, and we're ready to rock and roll. So, Dennis, I've I've spoken to you many times, you know, privately. We've spoken about lots of things because of shared areas of, of interest sure. and concern. But this is the first time we've ever got together and done a sort of formal gab, you know, uh, a formal chat here on the radio. Saying, so it's, it's good to get yep. back with you. Yeah, really good. And you. you've been... You've had a, a pretty testing time of it recently. I know that you've not been in the public space for all sorts of reasons. Do you want to say a little bit about that and how's your health and how are things going in that direction, you know? Yeah, well, I did the uh, the three documentaries, which were all three were over over six hours apiece, which takes a lot of energy. Uh, yes. Especially especially my my stage of, uh, of age. Uh, and consequently, like, I don't know, maybe the last... Uh, three or four years. I have had health problems varying from uh, uh, heart attacks to uh, a damaged spinal cord, which restricts me in, in many ways. Yes. Uh, physically, but uh, in, in the end, you know, I, I do try and keep my mind alive uh, and by, you know, looking at various aspects, such as Freemasonry, but I haven't been as active in, on, <coughs> in the video department for quite some time because it is quite grueling. Yeah, it is. As, as some of the listeners here know how grueling it can be for me with my fingers hitting all the wrong buttons at the wrong times and <laughs> cocking things up live, Dennis. It, it happens. And I've yeah, not even, yeah. you know, I've avoided the video thing. Actually, it's a funny way. To, it's not that I don't watch them, but I've not really sort of stuck my nose into what it takes to put one together. But I know it must be at least five to six times as much work as it is dealing with audio, if not more, because there's so many other different elements and factors to bring in. So really, sure. you know, as a soul guy, and I call you an auteur, and it's the correct word for you, by the way. I did look it up. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it grand? Um, yeah. Just, to, yeah, yeah, just to let listeners know, both me and Dennis come from the north of England. Okay, and uh, you probably can tell that Dennis's accent's a little stronger than mine. I've become refined uh, to, to some degree, but uh, and it's not the sort of word that you bandy about up north, is it? Auteur, Dennis. We don't do that sort of thing, do we? Well, it's you know. I actually went, you, you, you probably don't know, that. well, many people won't know this, but I actually went to a, a private school at one stage when I was when I was a lot younger. Yeah. And we had elocution lessons. And I used to hate the elocution lessons. I don't know, you know, maybe... <laughs> I can see they really worked on you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So maybe I should have concentrated a bit more, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I caught a bit of that what's that silly film that musical I hate musicals but there was a bit of it on TV My Fair Lady you know with Audrey Hepburn oh yeah oh yeah yeah I mean I'm not a fan of George Bernard Shaw either so you know it's not got a lot going for it I don't like musicals. I don't like George Bernard Shaw. Rex Harrison's quite compelling to watch in a way. I didn't like him when I was younger, but there's something quite haughty and interesting about him. But sort of vowel sound things, it was just exhausting to listen to. So I'm assuming you went through something like that, did you? Did they get you reading out well, sentences? Well, it was and... Oh No Brown Cow limitations. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I have found over the years, not that I was ever part of the elite, but no. I found the kind of... Uh, two different types of education systems in England. One is obviously the, the Toff Society. Mm -hmm. and obviously the other one is to the, uh, to the Ordinary Society. So, and both uh, lead in different directions, which we, the, we may discuss later on. 
Yeah, I think I think we will. I think um, we've had some good comments. I get some good comments in on my Telegram group. There's a Telegram group for the show. There's a link on the website. Um, and it's growing slowly but surely. We're up to nearly 50 people there, which, you know, in comparison to some that's got tens of thousands. But it's it's developing all the time, and it's good. Mm-hmm. There been quite a few comments about the British public school system, because I mentioned here, Did you have you ever seen that film Tom Brown's School Days, uh, Dennis, from about 1952? Did, have you ever seen that one? I think I, I think there's a series once over. I may have caught a couple of the episodes, yeah. but I don't think I've seen the complete. No. no, Max Bygraves was in it. That won't mean to oh, really. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was a stage man. That probably doesn't mean too much to anybody outside of England. But uh, Max Bygraves was the butt of a relentless, never-ending joke, courtesy of Morecambe and Wise. They just went on. Him and Des O'Connor used to get it, didn't they, in the neck verbally that's all right. the time, yeah, which was really right. a great running gag. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he was a very young guy. It's a great film, and, and it's a book I mentioned the other week that I've never got around to reading, but it's supposed to exemplify some of the finer qualities and characteristics of a good traditional Christian education. Um, and I mentioned here... Nothing wrong it, with that. No, there isn't. There isn't. There's something actually <laughs> really disciplined about it, and uh, Robert Newton, the guy that played Long John Silver... He's in it. He plays the the headmaster brilliantly. He's a progressive. Uh, I forgot yeah. the name of him. Arnold. Matthew. He plays Matthew Arnold, right? Who's actually well known outside of. And he's supposed to be changing the school, and he's tremendous in it. Very very good. And Flashman's an absolute cad, <laughs> unbelievably bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Cad comes from that that world. I would imagine. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know the name of the actor who played him, but he really was an absolute. Bar steward. He was awful. I mean, he was just hitting them for no reason whatsoever. Yep. So they really laid it on. I mean, this is a black and white movie from about 1952. So the the psychological bullying side is really strong in the film. You know, it's not all the physical stuff. Um, yeah, well, d- I've, I've since found out that most of these boarding schools, yeah, which which the elite go to, or the the children of the elite, have suffered in uh, some time or other some sexual abuse. So, you know, that kind of warps the mind when they grow older to be less empathetic to people Mm -hmm. like us. I think it's a key one. I think it's absolutely massively important. I mean, there is this sort of cliched figure, isn't it, of the British sort of lord or public school educated lad who turns into a young man and they are haughty and arrogant and they assume all the time that they're in authority of all things. And this assumption, of course, has become embedded in their way of life. I don't think they were always like that, but the schools reinforced that, it seems to me, wouldn't you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange system. Very, uh, I mean, to be cut off from your loving parents at a young age yeah. and, and cast into the hands of a possibly a, a paedophile teacher mm-hmm. seems uh, not the way to go in my eyes. No, it's not got a lot going for it, has it? It really doesn't. No. no. And I think you're right. Hence, you know. hence we, we get people like Churchill and... <laughs> well, let's, and move on to, let's move on to the great man. <laughs> great as in G-R-A-T-E, as far as I'm concerned, and, and possibly mm-hmm. people are of a, of a similar... At the beginning of your video, um, The Secret Masonic Victory of World War II, I've mismangled mm. that, but you, everybody knows what it is. And if you don't, you need to look it up. Um, and you can get copies of it from moneytreepublishing.com. I'm doing my sales pitch, and rightfully so, because it's a brilliant series, or a, a brilliant film. 
There's a bit at the beginning, and I want to read it out. I actually got this from Wikipedia or Wikisource. Okay, so this is a historical document. And people, you may be familiar with this, you may not. Um, this is to do with, I mean, I was out with people the other day, actually, the other week, letting them know that I had a very low opinion of Churchill. Of course, it's generally poo-pooed over here. Oh, you couldn't possibly have. He's the guy that saved us from this, that, and the other. I understand that view, and you probably heard it loads, Dennis, I expect, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a bit that you put right at the beginning of it, um, which is just a little quote from him. He wrote an article in 1920, 104 years ago. Good grief. And here we are talking about it, and we need to talk about it. Uh, it's, it's relevant in all sorts of ways with what's happening as well um, out in the so-called Middle East. It's called Zionism versus Bolshevism. And it appeared in the Illustrated Sunday Herald on February the 8th, 1920. I'm not going to read the whole thing, even though one day maybe I ought to and record it. It'd be quite useful. Actually, I'll tell you what we should do. We need to get one of those AI voices. We need to get Churchill's voice, and we can get it. I'm going to, I'm going to get onto that. We need to do that. Yeah, that would be a thought, yeah. It would, wouldn't it? It'd come across a bit more. I'm going to just read the bit that you put at the beginning, because it's a good lead sure. into a lot of things. Uh, it says, This movement among the Jews is not new. From the days of Spartacus Weishaupt to those of Karl Marx, and down to Trotsky, Russia, Bela Kun, Hungary, Rosa Luxemburg, Germany, and Emma Goldman, United States, this worldwide conspiracy for the overthrow of civilization and for the reconstitution of society on the basis of arrested development, of envious malevolence, and impossible equality has been steadily growing. It played as a modern writer, Mrs. Webster, this is Nesta Webster I've been covering here for the past few months, has so ably shown a definitely recognisable part in the tragedy of the French Revolution. It has been the mainspring of every subversive movement during the 19th century, and now, at last, this band of extraordinary personalities from the underworld of the great cities of Europe and America have gripped the Russian people by the hair of their heads and have become practically the undisputed masters of that enormous empire. And I read that because the problem I have with Churchill is that uh, when he writes things like this, you see that he's a bit like a broken clock. He's totally accurate in his in his summing up yep. here. Yeah. Certainly was, yeah. He certainly was. And yet he is a product of this very public schoolboy system that we're talking about, isn't he? Oh, directly, yeah. Yeah. So you started your you started the film off with that, and then it leads into the whole of. I mean, this you see his use of language. I'm afraid I, it's good. This is the problem I have with him. It's very good. Envious malevolence is correct, and impossible equality. And yet, the times that we're in right now, don't you think that this theme is being sort of driven at us right now? This is there's nothing different from 104 years ago, is there, or is there? Well. I've always felt that uh, the whole British Empire, if you look at uh, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, America, yep. and of course England, were, it was a Masonic Empire, uh, which is the reason you find all these lodges still in uh, Africa and other places as well. So the, the old power structure was Masonic throughout the empire and wherever the British Empire seemed to go, which was practically everywhere, Mm -hmm. You found your lodges until along came World War Two, and for the first time that I can recall, uh, masonry was under an attack it had never known before. Yeah, 
I mean, do you see it very much as a war of masonry against Germany? Is that one way? Is that an accurate, at least one way we could describe it? That's one way, but the way I put it in the documentary was World War Two was the Bible against the Talmud. I go for you. I, I prefer your second one. <laughs> I do. Unfortunately, absolutely. the Talmud won. Well, it did because people, you know, I've got this little quote from Henry Ford. Um, good image. I've been a little meme I've been sending around where he says, "People read the Bible." wearing Jewish spectacles, and therefore read the Bible wrong. And this is so mm -hmm. true. And, of course, Ford was uh, a supporter to some degree, or in a certain capacity, of uh, National Socialism, wasn't he? Yeah, it, that, Ford's a weird one, because although he was, as you said, a supporter of National Socialism, he was, he was also a 33-degree Freemason. So well, where we, that conflict comes in, that is interesting. What do we do with them? Can we do anything with them? What do we do with 33rd? Isn't Blair a 33rd degree Freemason? Well, a 33 degree Mason is it's, it's more of a, you know, you're invited to be one. You know, you don't have to go through all the stages. So I'm not convinced everybody knows exactly what they're stepping into at that late stage, <clears throat> but maybe they do. It's a difficult one because of secrecy. But yeah, for sure, there's uh, 33 degree Masons are usually what would you call enlightened luciferians <laughs> it's a it's a funny juxtaposition of words isn't it enlightened luciferians i mean yeah i i don't know what i mean i know you're probably a big reader and a researcher and everything but the just let's just go back to your video career as well because I'm, I'm interested in this in terms of what mm -hmm. you know i've heard it second down in other interviews that you've done but you start, when did you start doing The Greatest Story Never Told? What year was that when you began work on that? 2010. Right. Why that then? Was, why then? Why, uh, why not earlier or why not later? Was it a technology thing or was it you'd just been stewing and thinking and studying and it suddenly came to that point? Well, I think it was the fact that I'd known about The Greatest Story Never Told for many years since I was a young boy. Mm -hmm. <coughs> when I was told it by my father who fought in the Balkans and came to Britain to escape communism. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's not something I could really talk about because yeah. it, you couldn't mention Adolf Hitler, certainly even today. You know, people look at you gone out. So for, for a long time I kept it all to myself and it, it was only until the, uh, the internet came about that I felt that enough people would would watch or, or be prepared to listen uh, than, than ever before. So I used that to my advantage, even used YouTube to my advantage until they certainly got wise after seven, 17 episodes uh, and, and I was banned. And people go, go on today about how Alex Jones was banned and everybody else was banned and uh, most people are banned today with, with some obscure uh, agenda, but I was one of the first and I knew that was going to come anyway. But you haven't been banned, have you? Uh, well, technically I have. Have you? In what way? Well, the documentary is... Uh, all, well, I think... Well, I think most of the documentaries are, are banned off, off YouTube. Oh, uh, they are, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, my channel was wiped out. Uh, the uh, Greater Story channel, which was a separate channel to mine, was wiped out. With a, with a million 
subscribers. So, Say that again. Uh, stop, stop, that. stop. Back up, back up. Say that again. Okay. Let's just get that bit again. I want to get the number. Say that bit again. <laughs> well, well, the website, what was what we was using to send people to to learn more about the subject and the documentary course, uh, had a YouTube channel which reached a million subscribers. Well, this would be what, about 2014, 15, a bit later? Yeah, like yeah, just yeah. Well, two or three years. So 2013 it came out right. and the reaction was immediate. Uh, yeah. And I think even in the United Nations they said uh, when Trump was running for election, not that Trump has, is, is any saviour to me, but when Trump was running for election, the United Nations announced it was the most watched documentary by white nationalists. I remember you're jogging yeah. my memory. I remember that because you're yeah. absolutely right. It made a monster impact when it arrived. Mm. It was the fact that you'd yep. gone to the trouble of putting it all together. More than that, that it was lengthy, that it was detailed, that it was just laid layer upon layer upon layer. Then it made a completely unarguable presentation for That's for being right. very, very close to the truth. That was the impact of it emotionally on people. You know, I remember, yeah. didn't you do an interview with Diana Spingola? She was in tears about it. And, you know, yeah, I did can, several, yeah. Yeah, I can remember that. I had exactly the same thing with your thing and also with tom goodrich's hellstorm when i went through that i've talked about that before yeah just i had to go walking around the garden because i just couldn't keep myself together because you just realized how much you couldn't fathom the evil yeah. no and, and and of course yeah we have been had but the evil is like i mean there's a point in uh the greatest story never told where you realize or i certainly realized just exactly what we'd lost and that does bring tears to your eyes because it affects everything it affects your your family your children because we know certainly since the covid exactly what we're heading for uh, and that to me was the last great battle which I, don't, I, I, I think you're right but i don't want to agree with you because i think we're in the last one right now but i i could be wrong i mean in terms of military conflict it seems yeah. to be that that Mil is you're absolutely yeah, right sure. You're absolutely right. Um, I, I think I think we're, we've only got divine intervention left, to be honest. You know, I, I get that comment from Andrew Hitch, Andy Carrington Hitchcock. I think it yeah. a lot. I've been thinking it for years. Um, I don't think we should use that, and I don't think we do use it as a reason to sit around on our rear ends and do nothing. In no, fact, it's galvanising no, to God do says, even more, isn't it? Yeah, God says he'll help those who help themselves. You know, <laughs> that's been right in my head the last two or three weeks, that one. I've almost got it written down on a board here in front of me. I put these mm. little things just, you know, because you need a little reminder. Your brain can't hold everything up, my mind can't. And I think that's absolutely right. I, I think that should be, to a great degree, one of our mantras. God helps those that help themselves, because we need to really yeah. get on and do that sort of thing, don't we? We absolutely Correct. do. Yeah, I remember the impact of that, Dennis. I didn't realize you had so many subscribers, a million. Mm. Yeah, uh, and of course they've been clamping down. I mean, Andy, who was on here a few weeks ago when I had a sort of Christmas gib gab, there was a lot of us on. It was a very loose show. It wasn't structured. It wasn't just Andy, but we were talking about the fact that you know his book had got banned. I think it was two thousand and seventeen, mm and -hmm. in the book world, he'd had a similar sort of impact because his book was top of that section on Amazon for years. You know, the conspiracy really? section or whatever. Yeah, I think it was. It was always in the top two or three. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we've become aware, don't you think, to some degree, that the, the idea of the media 
is the battleground that we're in right now in terms of just having an opportunity to communicate, let alone whether we're actually any good at it or not. The fact is that you talk about topics that we know Freemasons and the like are too keen on, are they? Well, <laughs> you talk about media. This is the first thing that uh, the powers that be uh, take over because they, they then hold the narrative uh, and dictate the narrative to the profane, inverted commas, mm -hmm. so that, you know, you, you get normal people uh, being fed all this uh, illusion of democracy. And, yep. and when they finally come to a point where people question it, then some of these normies just can't face the uh, reality uh, and just refuse to, to act. act. Yeah. There's a, the, I, I was out the other night and uh, just had a, a little conversation about our current state, you know, you're there saying that it brings tears to your eyes in terms of the condition that we're in. And I, that thought is never far away from me. And I should imagine not from many other people who were aware of the true happenings of the last century in particular. Yeah. And uh, a comment came back at me, quite innocent, and these things happen often, you know. Um, but, you know, Germany invaded Poland, that one. I went yeah. and uh, I said, well, I don't think so. Of course, this is a ridiculous thing to say to certain ears. What do you mean they didn't invade Poland? We know that they went in in September 1939. I said, but do you know why they went in? Have you any idea? And, of course, people are not aware of Bromberg and what was taking place on that border yep. just then. They're not – it's a. It's one of hundreds, if not thousands, of incidents that all tell the same story, all of which have been suppressed and kept out of every documentary. You know, Larry Olivier in The World at War never covered it once, did he? Because it wasn't in the script. Well, it's just not – it isn't just the, the German invasion of Poland. It's, it's the false flags which have gone on before and since. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was simply a false flag – you know, uh, which, well, they said that the Germans invaded because of some some kind of uh, uh, battle with with the border, Polish yep. border police. But, you know, you look at 9-11 and everything else, like, there's a narrative, but it is a false flag, just like, you know, we've probably seen just now in Israel, you know, false flags are the quickest and best ways of, of, uh, of starting wars. Do you think it's a false flag, Dennis? No, I'm not saying it's a false flag. I'm saying it's portrayed as a false flag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, well, I, yeah, it is, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I don't yeah. want to get... Uh, the, the Israel thing that's going on right now has been taking place a few months ago, or whatever they're doing, of course, is is well, just another incidence of a, it's a similar sort of plan in play. Yeah. Well, if I could just clarify the Poland thing for once. The, the, the great argument is that people will say Germany invaded and the deaths that uh, occurred was after they invaded. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the proof in the pudding is the fact that when the Germans did invade and did find the bodies and they were examined by an international committee, they were all redeemed to be months old, seven, eight, nine months old. Mm -hmm. So before the Germans invaded, so yeah. the proof was there before your eyes well there's horrific there are sites with the photographs of of the slaughter of these 5,000 German farmers and their families and people that were on that border and they're not for the faint-hearted I mean it's just horrific stuff exactly. um, uh, and I've read up on that one in detail I mean there's <laughs> you know so this pattern is repeated over and over and over again and yet I noticed that even 
and I've had, I don't know if you've found this as well, you, you present, say, information to someone like this, this uh, a lump of information, say, like this, and at the time that you're presenting it, uh, it's possible to hold their attention, maybe, you know, for a certain amount of time, and you can see that certain bits of it are going in, and yet, if I meet up with certain people, say, several months later, and this has happened for years as this sort of thing, I mean, it's not just a recent thing, it's as if those conversations that I had with them never took place. They've, it's like there's a default position that people go back to. I mean, I think it's understandable, mm. but have you have you experienced stuff like that? Well, I think there's there's, there's so many parts to all this. Uh, I don't like to call it a conspiracy because I don't think it is a conspiracy, but there's different parts. Where where the Masons control they control everything from the music industry mm-hmm. to, to various other uh, uh, industries, uh, and you can only absorb so many conspiracies. Should, should, you know, shall I use that word? Uh, you know, I mean the fact. I mean. The the Beatles are even thought to be a, a you know product of Tavistock, yeah, uh, and they were Freemasons, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at the music industry today, and it's satanic projection of the acts and the Illuminati and things like that. But then you go into you know climate change and or, or other you know the moon landing and things like that, <coughs> all of which I think you know there's there's credibility there to to be, to being lies, uh, but people can only take so many lies, I think. Yeah, and, and they'll probably have the if they have any, they'll have the certain favourites. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, I, I yeah, I've got. I mean, I've got some clips. The Beatles thing. I've not. I know. I think you might be looking into it, and I've heard people really jump into it in all sorts of ways. There, there, they are. It's funny. Uh, it's a funny setup with the Beatles. There's definitely a sort of odd vibe about the whole thing. I mean, I, I was just an infant at the time when it was going on, so I didn't know, you know. It was just music that I used to hear when I was eating an ice cream when I was six and seven years of age and stuff like that. Um, and yet yeah. that, it still rolls on, that, that juggernaut. You mentioned something to me the other day when we were talking privately about when Michael Jackson bought the, um, bought the catalogue. Who was That's it? You, right, found, yeah. you found something out, you know. You might want to let everybody know about that. Yeah, well, what's... what's uh, people really don't realise is that Michael Jackson uh, bid on the Beatles' rights, which only only became uh, came to auction because of the death of a guy called uh, Adorno. I can't yeah. think of his other name. Theodore. Theodore, Theodore Adorno. Adorno. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and uh, he was of the German Frankfurt School, who came to England. He was actually one of the the, the best friends of the Queen, and he became the uh, conductor, the leading conductor of the Philharmonic Orchestra uh, in London, uh, and he held all the rights to the Beatles songs, not the Beatles. So when Theodore died, uh, his estate put the rights up for auction, and Michael Jackson was in a bidding war with Paul McCartney, and I think something like forty-seven million bought the rights and McCartney then fell out with Michael Jackson he previously recorded with him mm-hmm. uh, and and wouldn't speak to him again in a kind of public uh, breakout yeah. of the uh, I remember that. so yeah so the thing was what people didn't realize is that Paul McCartney never owned the rights in the first place so that beggar's belief who wrote the Beatles songs it does 
I'm I'm up in the air. I'm not committed one way or the other. I just find it all. It's like I suppose as circumstantial anecdotes or hearsay or evidence builds up. I'm going to have to keep reviewing my take on it. As I said, I don't really listen to them that much. Although there's some things that you know, I saw well, some. Well, music- people believe. Mm-hmm. Sorry, pe- people believe that there were the. Uh, I mean, the Tavistock Institute specialises in changing cultures, mm-hmm. and so they. Uh, and the Rolling Stones and other British bands as well uh, were projected uh, and if you like the Beatles the clean cut image of the Beatles certainly at the beginning you either like them or you like the rough edge Rolling Stones but you captured everybody and at the end of the day both the bands led to the road of drugs and debauchery and and such like so just uh, yeah yeah exactly and and culture did change in both uh, England and America and Western world but they got a little bit of backlash with uh, America when when Lennon was going down the way bigger than Christ. You're talking about music. I asked you about mm. music a bit earlier today, and you sent me a couple of tracks, right? <laughs> so I think now, uh, brace yourselves. This, this these surprised me when you picked this, right? This is really quite mm-hmm. interesting. So, uh, and I've had them sent off to the remixing factory, uh, Paul. Uh, Paul Beaner has remixed them at 432 hertz. Apparently, I'm not supposed to say that on air because it's all going to go pear-shaped. Um, but uh, I'm going to play the song, then we'll play a little station ID. You're here listening to Paul English Live on WBN324.zil. I'm here with Dennis Wise. Here's Dennis's first pick. Anybody who guesses it, free bag of toffees in the post to you, something like that. Here we go. Oh, hang on just a minute. I've done something really rather foolish. I do this loads, Dennis, every week. I wish uh, to bring Jimmy Savile into the place. <laughs> you know, I talk about my silly fingers and buttons and things and everything like uh-huh. that. Here we go. Right. Now we'll do it properly. So you, that gave everybody a second or two to, to come up with a proper guess. Here we go. We'll be back <laughs> after this song.
Attention all listeners, are you seeking uninterrupted access to WBN 324 Talk Radio despite incoming censorship hurdles? Well, it's a breeze. Just grab and download Opera Browser, then type in WBN324.ZIL. And stay tuned for unfiltered discussions around the clock. That's WBN324.ZIL. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on the World Broadcasting Network are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of its owners, partners and other hosts or this network. Thank you for listening to WBN 324 Talk Radio. And uh, we're back after that uh, musical interlude, which surprised me, Dennis. And uh, why that song? (laughs) And it did. It surprised me. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I I think I mentioned to you what's happened here over the past few weeks. I say to people in the chat, hey, do you you want a a song? Because we always try. I try and play a couple of songs over the two hours, you know, so they suggest things and that's fine. But I, I asked you, maybe that's the way to do it from why that song? Well, I think. The true story is that it reminds me of my rising testosterone levels after being such a failure at school (laughs) with the girls. I kind of like went through a a phase where suddenly when I was going out clubbing, I could suddenly attract the the opposite sex. (laughs) And that was one of the the, the records which kind of sticks in my mind from that era. It's synonymous with your life taking off in the level uh, in the area of romance and things like that, is it? I see. I, I, would, get it. I would. That's a fair <laughs> description. <laughs> so it's very fun. When I hear it, it's got very fond memories. Great. Fantastic. I guess we've all got things like that. I bet no one guessed that, right? Because we were going no, from Bromberg Massacre through to George McRae singing <laughs> Rocky Baby. It's quite. I like, the, I like that juxtaposition. That's pretty cool, is that? That's fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, yeah, shout out to Paul B. Thank you. That was a B mix, as I said. So Paul's now the on-the-fly remixer of songs back down to 432 hertz. So it's slightly different from the original. And uh, if you want a copy afterwards, I'll send you a copy, uh, Dennis, so you can listen to it and compare it to the original. Yeah. Bring my happy memories, yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually, because it dovetails really into what you were just saying then as well um, Mm -hmm. about Tavistock and them rearranging cultures. Because there was a meeting, wasn't there, in London, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, about 1937, where they restructured the notes on the scale. And there must have been a decision, obviously, to do this thing at 44 hertz, or 440, whatever it is, as opposed to this 432, which is known to have a much more positive effect on your body is 432. It's supposed to lift one up in a subtle way. And they've they've gone to town on every single area that affects us to uh, keep us subdued, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, all this goes back way back to Egypt. I mean, if you notice, uh, a lot of bells have been, have disappeared over the years because the bells used to give off a certain frequency. Mm-hmm. <coughs> very, very rarely you hear bells these days. Uh, but they know all this. They've, they've got secret knowledge. Uh, you know, they're in fact, they're, they're probably Egyptian zealots, to be honest. Yeah, it's funny that the Egypt thing. You know, I tend to look at every single thing that we're looking at. Everything, you know, if you look at organised religions, countries, nations, everything, that it's not all good in any area, is it? Never. There's not sort of like a pure. To me, there isn't. There's never a pure, clean line. That there's er- no. eras where there's predominant goodness, and you see that the darkness rises up and stifles it and pushes it down, again and again and again. It's a bit like. 
I suppose when churches start, or started 2,000 years ago, at the beginning of them, these things would have been pristine and run along the right lines. Let's just assume that that's the case. But as the thing matures and goes down through the centuries, slowly but surely, the doctrines of these things become ever more complicated. In this case, you know, to support a priesthood that knows about them and you, the congregant, don't. And therefore, you've got to come to me. And while you're here, can you just drop some money in the hat? That kind of thing. <laughs> well, it goes think, on, doesn't I, it? I think... I think it was Shakespeare that said, uh, there is no darkness, only ignorance. Yeah, well, he he was a clever bugger, wasn't he? <laughs> well, that's if that was only one person. I've, I've got my doubts about that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a Tavistock thing, is it? it when did well, Tavistock no, start, just, anyway? It was it was around that period, you know, because it was to do with... So Tavistock's yeah, down near in Devon, isn't it? Where is it? It's somewhere on the south coast, isn't it? And yeah. I read that basically because a lot of ships were leaving this country at that time, taking people around the world or developing the commercial routes, they would have an agent, as it were, on every single ship uh, as a part of this sort of, I guess, uh, cataloging things, data capture, all that kind of stuff. You know, because why Tavistock is just down the coast. I mean, what's that got to do with London? Well, but that's that's obviously the connection yep. to do with the shipping, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's them. Um, you know, they're linked with the Frank Frankfurt School as well, you know, this communist agenda, uh, you know, of, of, of uh, culture change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of the Frankfurt School, not that I like to, actually I do really, I suppose, because it's useful to throw light on it. One of the scenes that we are familiar with, one of the great um, uh, things that we've been battered with, for most of our life, is the great National Socialist book burning events in the when they came to power in the mid thirties, um, yep. and of course, uh, the way it's portrayed to us always is: look at these evil people destroying literature, and because they didn't want people to think. But that's not the true story, is it, Dennis? No, uh, I think it's the the, uh, the final episode of. Uh the bonus part of the greatest story ever told were called the uh, Babylon before Hitler. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Berlin was known at that time as the Babylon of Europe, where you could buy any any sort of sexual encounter for for less than $10, mm -hmm. uh, ranging from paedophilia to, well, you name it, you know. So uh, Hitler came in and, and cleared it all out. Uh, and all that, all that you see today, uh, the Berlin of today, you see in America, where, and even Germany today, where bestiality is being uh, professed as legal. Mm -hmm. So you know it's it's history repeating itself. Hitler saw it, tried to do something, what he could, tried, lost, and today we see the, especially in the Western culture. Yeah. I mean, those book burning things, someone has made a comment about it in here. Um, students, Cat7 writes, students burned the books, not the National Socialist Party. Maybe that's the case. I knew it was students, though, that marched in and had had enough because there were books by Hirschfeld and others because they were yep. trying to do all this gender change stuff even back then because it's all yep. an attack to degrade us as as a different people, isn't it? Well, that's that's right. It, it, I mean, the, the occult agenda is eventually to have uh, a genderless sex, because this is what the, the prof Professor Lucifer to be, uh, neither man nor woman. 
uh, which is why again all, all of a sudden all this uh, transgenderism thrown at you. Um, people uh, believe the Scottish National Party, if they regain power in the next election in Scotland, yeah. you will be in prison for seven years for not allowing your child to change gender. Well, then, obviously, we need the counterforce, which is that any politician that enforces that is to be imprisoned for seven years. In fact, double that. They receive double back what they give out. We, I mean, well, strangely yeah. enough, sorry to interrupt, strangely enough, mm. uh, what's he called, the Labour leader now, Keir Starmer, mm. <laughs> he, yes. was asked, he was asked not long ago what, what is a woman, and he couldn't answer. But not only that, he was given an interview the other day on Sky, and uh, he, he, he said something on the lines, he, he, he's talking about his children as, as a girl and a boy, and he talks about his two sons. So kind of make of that what you will. Did he? Yes. I didn't catch that. I know he talks, I mean, he's not to be trusted because he was a lawyer. And he says things well, like, I, he said something the other day, like, I come from the legal profession where there's a high level of integrity. It's sort of like, what, are you a comedian now? What's going on? I mean, it's just a joke, these things. Yeah. No, well, he's it's, it's just another, uh -huh. you know, there's no difference between the parties, whether it be in America or whether it be in Britain. It's the same system, blue and red. Yeah, it is. What's that thing? It doesn't matter which party you vote for. The problem is, is that the government always gets in. And yeah, that's... Exactly. Nothing it, changes. <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. I know, because obviously you know, there is a, obviously an understandable temptation maybe for uh, people like us, of which I believe there's a considerable number, not necessarily right here and now in this moment, but there are all over the place, who would look to the political solution as going, that's the one, that's the one for us. We can solve things through politics. But my view is oh. that that's broken and that, that, you know, that boat sailed a long yeah. time ago. That's done is that. That's for me. Yeah. 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 If, if, if ever it did, you know. Mm hmm And do you think Keir Starmer's probably a Freemason? What do you think? Uh, well, if you were to ask me to bet my life on it, I would say yes. I'd bet my life on it too. That's two lives on that <laughs> bet. That's two. Because you, because you can't get to that position of, of power. People used to say about Stalin, oh, Stalin wasn't a Freemason. <laughs> and I used to say, well, I used to say, well, how does he, how does he sit down with three other Freemasons. Oh, it's because he got the biggest army in the world. I says, no, he sits down with the Freemasons because he is a Freemason. That's right. And uh, subsequently, he went on to, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen many Freemason statues, but never one as big as the one I saw Stalin's. <laughs> where was that? Where did you see that? This this is in, in Soviet Union, where he, uh, this huge statue of him with his uh, hand in his garment, in hand. <laughs> So, Napoleon, yeah. what do you think? You think Napoleon was one? There is that portrait of him with his hand slipped into his waistcoat pocket. But well, I don't know. You see, sometimes I just don't know with these things. It's yeah, well, tricky. the SS had a handbook out on Freemasonry. They went around Europe, especially France, exposing Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. And they actually said that there was no actual proof that he was a Freemason. Uh, he, I don't did, think he was. He my, gut, my gut feeling is that he wasn't because, you know, we've talked about this as well. To some degree, his seeking to retain what 
what had been visited upon them, i.e. to restore France, which he did in his own way, albeit, you know, there are certain things that I don't agree with at all, and, and other things as well, but he did do that. He was fighting a de- really a series of defensive wars in much the same way as Adolf Hitler was for his nation to preserve the thing that they'd built, and yet the press, certainly with Napoleon, and obviously still today with Mr Hitler, just bangs on and on and on about them wanting to take over the world. That's well, it's, it's the same enemy again. Yeah, it is. So you know, make of that of what you will. And you know, the the the, the escapades in in Russia for both armies, are very similar. Aren't they just? They are. Mm. I mean, I was talking. I went to see the Napoleon film, and um, my comments here a few weeks ago, a couple of months back. I mean, they put it out on cable TV already. I think. Um, and uh, there is a director's cut of it coming out, which is going to be over four hours. The, the the one in the cinema was like two hours and 50 minutes. This one's going to be, I think, over four hours. Um, it might be better, but I suggested at the time that it needs about 50 hours at least to cover what went on in that man's life. And yeah. you would have to do something similar, really, with the period of history that we're addressing here, the, the one in whose shadow we still live. There's no two ways about that, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I suppose many people in England won't see that because they're not aware of all this detailed information that as you acquire it, it builds up a completely different picture of what we're looking at, doesn't it? I think it does. Yeah. it's uh, well, well, like I said early on, uh, Freemasonry had never, never faced an enemy. Like like Germany in World War Two, you know, and a, a lot of people don't really mention it. I, I only came across it when I did the second documentary, Communism by the Back Door, mm-hmm. where I looked into things like this, and and I realised the link with Freemasonry, uh, and 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 the war on Christianity, which has continued since World War Two, and even up, to, uh, you know, during the sixties with the culture changes. So, uh, yeah, you know, the fact that they faced an enemy for the first time really was uh, significant in my eyes to Hmm. what the real story was of World War II I mean I I agree, I'm not going to probably disagree with anything you're about to say Dennis really because we've (laughs) talked before and you know as I was saying you know the more areas that you look at and that you pry open you keep coming back to the same blueprint the same story the same lie usually it's a different type of version of a lie but it's still a lie uh, which is visited upon the young you know so none of this was knowledge to me when I was a young person because there was no books around about this stuff and even if they were they wouldn't have been allowed to be distributed but you got first-hand knowledge because of your father's experiences and your uncle's and Things like that. That's that right. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly on, on on World War Two, but like I said, the the interest in Freemasonry came after the second documentary. And I realised the importance of it, which allowed me to make a third documentary, uh, the Secret Masonic Victory, which it was, because uh, not many people realised that Roosevelt, Churchill, Stalin, Truman. We're, we're all Freemasons, and the one who was wiping Freemasonry out in every country they invaded, including the Channel Islands, was Germany. So the link to me was obvious. Yep. Yep. You were mentioning something about what happened in France when Germany went into France with the lodges. Now, do right. you want to say a little bit more about that? Because you were mentioning some of those things to me previously. Well, yeah, the, 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 they were exposing... Uh, Freemasonry um, 
having uh, you know showing to the actual public exactly what Freemasonry was was doing behind the scenes. They did it in uh, the Channel Islands as well, where the Channel Islands has a history of paedophilia, uh, which is also linked to Freemasonry mm -hmm. uh, throughout, throughout the years. So, yeah, uh, every country they went in, more or less, uh, they pretty much destroyed it. Uh, in fact, I think the only, the only t uh, country that was doing any kind of Freemasonry in Europe was Switzerland, uh, which was minor in my eyes because uh, they would have fallen in line whether if, if Europe had a, or the war had been won, Switzerland would have just fallen in line. Mm -hmm. But obviously the, 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 the power points of Freemasonry were still England and, and the US. Ugly, that's the word for it, isn't it? The one in London, U-G-L-E, the United Grand Lodge <laughs> of England. Do you think that they like their little jokes? Is that supposed to be a little joke? Ugly? It's well, a funny acronym, isn't it, really? I think it, I think it was 1717 when, when they uh, took over the leading of Freemasonry. And at that time, the, anything Christian about it was abolished, would you believe? Yes. Yeah, because there must have been a point when it really was uh, like a guild of masons yep. that were putting up the things yeah, yeah. on churches. That's exact. So that's its true intent, and of course they will go back to that as a default. Say, no, we're still like that, or there'll be some sort mm. of allusion to that, you know, in their language. That we're a charitable organisation, you know, born out of this, and you see them talking earnestly. And I should imagine many of the people at the so-called lower levels are oblivious the, the, of what's at the top. But I can't imagine that they are as much as they were because even they would have had access to the t t internet, as we would say up north. And, uh, you know... Oh, they, yeah, but, you know, that's that's easily, you know, uh, portrayed as a conspiracy. When, the, when they're actually shown in, in the lower regions, of course, you know, they're not shown the, the true story, but that's not meant to be. Even Al, uh, Albert Pike said that, you know, the, the, the lower masons will be deceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only when you get to the higher degrees that, uh, you know, you told the full story. Do you think they're a totally different breed of people? I mean, I, I had a, uh, I've got a, a friend around here just who, who's not necessarily, he did spend some time looking into this and I've not seen him for a little while, but a really good man. And he, I remember about three or four years ago, we were at the pub. You remember that going to the pub? I used to do that sort of thing. It's a bit <laughs> quiet these days, but, um, uh, we were at the pub talking about this, and he was saying that he'd been invited along to see if he wanted to become, what is it, a brother or something. And uh, he instinctively just didn't like it. He said, he went along to me, and there were all these guys there doing their thing, and said there was lots of whispering and going off, and people going off into little huddles and doing things. He felt the whole sort of atmosphere was not healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, his instincts were right. He just had a simple sort of view of the whole thing, which I think protected him in many ways. Well, even at lower levels, uh, you've got to... Well, I disagree with the principle, because most people join Freemasonry uh, because they'll get business connections and, and they will be chosen, you mm -hmm. know, ab above somebody outside Freemasonry, which kills democracy straight away. I agree, you know, absolutely. It's out of order. The whole thing's wrong. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, people are being favoured. So that in itself, to me, is uh, is should be a no-no. But once you get past the, uh, you know, the master ma the master mason is is like a, more or less just three layers up from the bottom of the pyramid. There's a whole list going up right up to the thirty-three degree. Mm -hmm. So you know, even at master mason, you're not really 
shown the you know the the true agenda, and even so, there's, there's, can I just say that there's a book out, which uh, talks about I know people might pull the face of this or even, but there, there was a rumor that Paul McCartney died in 1966. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a book a book that's come out called the Memoirs of Billy Shears, and this guy has broken down the book. Uh, and it's broken into four layers. It's a Masonic book. And if you read it uh, through the four layers and not as it is, then it tells a story or supposedly the true story of uh, of what happened to Paul McCartney. Now, not only does it tell you this, but it tells you other things about Freemasonry. And above the 33 degrees, in this particular book, with these coded messages, it, it reads that above the 33, there's another layer of 13 illuminated degrees and then there's a further rank of 20 degrees above that. Yeah. So, which people have often talked about, but uh, these are people that nobody ever know of. I think doesn't, or didn't, I think he's still alive, Fritz Springmeier, he wrote a book years ago about the 13 families, about the bloodlines, and I think he alluded to this, and I've always held that that must yeah, be yeah. the case. I, I think if yeah. you and I know about the 33rd degree, and many of the listeners here will have heard of it, and we know that Tony Blair is apparently one, well, he might be 34 by now, he might be cracking on, you know, with his great brilliance and bringing it to the world. I've, I've just assumed that if I know that, then that's obviously not the whole story. Um, you know, there's there's got to be more than that. That's right, yeah. It's, it's it's a difficult one because of the secrecy. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we've got to rely on whistleblowers, etc. And of course, you know, they get done like in. this. What reveal? Of course, they I mean, I've even heard of the fact that when they take these oaths, they do uh, certain certain degrees have certain oaths, and uh, certain parts of the body are affected. Like, if if I reveal these secrets, I will cut my throat. Yes. Or you know, my stomach ripped open, and this guy in New Zealand has actually found a connection that these curses passed on to their, throughout the bloodline to, to, to the families yes. uh, and it's been proven uh, Doesn't sound it, very it, Christian it, to me Dennis, what do you think? That doesn't sound sort no, of Christian does it? No, I don't say it's Christian at all no. he, he's, wrote, he's wrote several books on the subject and uh, uh, I, I tend to go along with him Yes, you know, These are curses They are are we? I mean, are we in a position to to issue and utter curses? Uh, I mean, maybe we are in our defence. I don't know. I need to look into that. Maybe someone would know. I, well, I, I think know. it's more uh, if you're looking for protection. I think you need to go to the Psalms. Yes. You yeah, know, I think you're rather right. Than, uh, you know, rather than any magic. Because what we're talking about here boils down very much to that book, doesn't it? Or those books, in many ways. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It roots right yeah. down to it this war between these two factions, however you want to describe it. We're talking about certain aspects. I mean, you were talking about these curses and things. One of the little images that I've put up for the show, and uh, to, this week's show images are just a grab bag of things for all sorts of reasons. It's, it, I, I had, to, for all sorts of reasons, it fell to me. There were good reasons. And uh, so this was what I cobbled up. We've got your video on there on the image, which I would recommend to everybody. If you're not familiar with it, get familiar with it. Get a copy from MoneyTreePublishing.com. But one of the, the book in the bottom right-hand corner is by a chap called Stephen Knight called The Brotherhood. And he was dead about four or five years after that book came out. Yeah. Now, they say it was a brain aneurysm or something like that. But aren't they capable of inducing things like that? I'm sure they are. I yeah, don't think they were very happy about that book. Yeah, well, it's it's not the first time this this has happened, you know. But that's why people are are scared of of, of speaking out, mm -hmm. because not not only 
uh, are they affected? But the families are threatened as well. So even if you think, well, I don't care, you know, you're going to care about your, your kids or your wife or yes, you know, your relatives. Yeah, so you it's do. Kind of a you absolutely exactly. have to. We have to just sit here and grin and bear it to some degree and find another way to deal with it. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you must. I, I'm assuming that you're familiar to some degree with the Jesuit oath, the oath that the Jesuits swear when they. Yeah, I've never known an oath like it. It's like absolutely <laughs> brutal. It's horrific. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've, the fact I've, that you would I've even say at... that, that you would even say, oh, yeah, I'm quite willing to say this and be witness <laughs> saying it is completely off the chart. I read it through a few times. It's sort of like you go, okay. Savage. I mean, the the useful thing for people like you and me and the audience, those that are paying attention to all of these sorts of things, is that it gives you a very clear view of what we're up against. If We might not be up against it directly, but it shows you what's left of their mindset. I mean, you think... Wow, <laughs> there really is well, evil, and you're quite willing to go and spend your time the rest of your life living in and amongst it. That's well, the, the present pope has took that off. So, the present pope has what took that off because he's a, he is a Jesuit. Well, yeah, he's not really a pope, is he? I mean, he's not really a spiritual <laughs> leader of anything much. He, he's a manager yeah. of mayhem, I mean, he's just complete imbecile. But I mean, that's not even the right word either. He's doing his job, he's got his instructions from exactly. somewhere, yeah. Exactly. Um, well, yeah, um, he, he's, took, he's took that off, a wonderful person. You see, we start off with Freemasonry, but we're actually basically talking about the whole shooting match, aren't we? Every single aspect of all of this sort of attack on Christendom, basically. Yeah, because they're they're looking at the age of uh, Horace, uh, bringing in this, this new world order. Mm -hmm. and, and to bring in the new world, they have to destroy everything in the old. And uh, Christianity's obviously targeted because it is the old the old means, if you like, which has to be destroyed. Yes, yeah, and that what's that? I see these little figurine figurines of of Baal or Baal, however you pronounce it, B A A L, mm. which is this um, uh, a creature, this ram, of course, with both sex organs. It's literally. Uh, the sort of the blending of the two together is it not? You must have seen these little statues and figurines, and this yeah, is obviously what their agenda is about. You know, it goes back to this duality thing, yeah. Uh, where, where this is why the transgender has suddenly become uh, to the fore. It's always been there, but yeah. they've hidden it more. Even I mean, Hollywood's one of the worst places for Freemasonry, and uh, the, the transgenderism out there is, is rife. Uh, as as is other things like I mean, people can't believe the things that have leaked out of Hollywood over the years, like, uh, for instance, uh, the sacrifice, some uh, actors will sacrifice their relatives to prove their allegiance to Lucifer, mm -hmm. uh, or, or even eat poop, for instance. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and people can't understand all this, but when you look at the OTO, the, uh, you know, the uh, Alistair Crowley's uh, lodge, yeah, that's... Everything's in that, all, all the principles. Mm -hmm. So, and the OTO obviously is rife in America, uh, especially California. I mean, Crowley passed away down the coast from me here, chewed out by gonorrhea, I think, which is a, at least some consolation. For he was, I mean, it's just a re the guy was a, a, a brilliant man when he was young in all regards, wasn't he? And then something goes, something goes askew. Well, like I said, he was one of these. Uh, boarding yeah. school elites, so no doubt he was uh, he was abused at some point, whether physically or mentally. Well, we can let him off then, can't we? <laughs> 
Well, I kicked him as he went past in his coffin, to be honest. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, it's just... <laughs> and yet, how, how to unpick this? I mean, I'm... You know, th- that phrase from Paul in the Bible is that, you know, we're fighting spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah. That's what we're actually against. There's this, it's this mind rot. I saw a little clip, actually, from a movie today where there's a sort of confrontation going on in a McDonald's. It was that Irish actor who was in Bruges, uh, the young one. I can't remember his name now. He's been in a lot of films. He played Alexander the Great. And I just can't recall his name because I don't watch movies a lot recently. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's, he's obviously some kind of guy who's very handy with his fists. And, and some youths come in and they're pushing him. And they, one of them draws a knife on him. So he takes that off him and this, that, and the other. And his closing speech to them was he said... Kids fight with fists, he said. Adults with knives and guns, he said. But men, grown-ups, fight with their brain, with their mind. Use your mind, basically. And it seems to me that we are involved in this mind war because they, their thinking on the other side, do people like you and I have any chance whatsoever of changing it? I, I think that would be zero. Well, I can't see any, any means of doing that. Well, this is where people, you know, who, who can't get their head round... Uh, what you're just talking about, you know, but it doesn't really matter what we think. No. These people actually believe it. Yes. And live their lives accordingly and make the rules accordingly. Uh, you know, and this is where you get your adrenochrome, your child abuse, all mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they live by these rules. I've, I, I, You must have had that come up a lot, the way you talked about it. I have lots, you know, when I was talking about these things and banking stuff, even 20 years ago, uh, longer than that, you know, talking about it, and they go, but why would they want to do that? I'm going, it's a very good question. Yeah, why would they want to do that? But can't you see that they're doing it? I can't believe it. It's not about whether you believe it or not. It's, you know, can you put on your Sherlock Holmes deer stock and stick your pipe in? Are you able to sift information and see the pattern? Of course, many people can't, but more people can do that now than used to 20 years ago. That's that's the well, only good thing. That's a really good thing that's happening. I'm convinced of that. Well, in New York at the moment, they've just found these underground tunnels. And we don't know exactly the reason why there's underground tunnels under a synagogue. Mm-hmm. But one, one can well speculate. Yeah. Uh, you know, they found mattresses, soil mattresses and, and uh, baby chairs. So mm-hmm. and if you go back to the Talmud, you know, everything in the Talmud points to how these people think in Freemasonry and certainly in the OTO. Uh, you know, uh, child abuse and child sex. Yeah. You know, it's talked about in the Talmud as normal. Yes, it is. It is. And of course, the, what it threw up for me when I saw that little report that came through the other day, of course, it's an ongoing report and unfolding all the time. And I suppose they're starting to cover it up and redirect it or whatever they're going to do. But it made me think of uh, the case here hundreds of years ago, Hugh of Lincoln, isn't it? Little Hugh of Lincoln, which was, yeah. you know, uh, and maybe if you're not familiar with that, listeners, you need to go and look it up. Hugh of Lincoln here in England, who uh, uh, was abused basically by. Um, uh, what would you call it? Uh, a pack of uh, Jewish uh, religious yeah, types. Ritual. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was bad. And uh, of course, there's been lots of denials. This never happened. They still deny this sort of stuff today. But there is one book that blows all of their denials out of the water, written by a Jew, Ariel Toph. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called uh, Blood Passover. And Toph, um, uh, his first name is Ariel, A R I E L T O A F. He's the son. Um, of the chief rabbi of Rome. And uh, Blood Passover. Do I say yeah, surprised? <laughs> no. 
No, but he was he did a courageous thing. You see, he brings it out. Uh, you can still find it on archive.org if you want to research these sorts of things. I think he's, yeah. I don't know what his dad did, you know, rabbi dad. Did, maybe he tried to distance himself, but Toph has not come to a sticky end and is one of those that has actually communicated this stuff. And, of course, that, that sexual abuse disease is rife in the intensely orthodox religious communities out there. You know, this was, uh, isn't this a Chabad Lubavitch situation out there? It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, the, the worst of the of of the of their kind, really. Well, it's horrific stuff, you know. It's horrific stuff, and then you look at the control that they've got. I mean, uh, whether there's another force controlling them, I, I don't know. It, you know, you, you go well if we can find out who's really doing it. But the fact is that on the ground and in our faces, and that's one of the reasons why I've been thinking a lot about Freemasons. Is you know the lodges are all over the place. I think there's about three and a half million of them in the states. Which is quite a There's lot. One in every town, more or less, isn't there? Yeah, I don't mean lodges. There's three and a half million Freemasons, but I mean for the three and a half million lodges, by golly, that's a lot of wallpaper, isn't it? But I think, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know how many there are over here, but it's long-standing here. And um, I mean, I read yeah. one of the things. I don't have the document to hand. I'd mentioned it before, but the, the origins of this began about 37 AD, about five or six years after the death of Christ. And it was um, Herod Antipater or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, I've got my names jumbled up. But the basically, the dispersed Israelite people were being reignited back into the contract, as it were. I'll explain that in a subsequent show. Maybe we'll even get around to it today. And it was growing rapidly, in spite of the fact, of course, that they were being violently repressed. Sounds like Monty Python, that, doesn't it? They were being violently repressed by the Romans, who didn't want it all springing up everywhere because it was making them more difficult to control. But the other side, you know, that cast of characters that Christ rebuked so perfectly at his trial... Uh, they basically formed this sort of counter-agency to undermine its its growth and spread. And I would suggest that that's basically been the war in the earth for the last 2,000 years. Most of the historical things that you look at and that I look at, that thread will get there. You'll come across it at some point in your research. You're going to hit it. It's there all the time. Yeah, I mean, especially in England, we talked about uh, briefly about the Spanish Armada. Yes. Uh, and now John Dee, the court magician to Queen Elizabeth, was in touch with whether it be angels or whether it be demons. I tend to think they were demons. And uh, little in history is known about the Spanish Armada, only what we're told that the Spanish Armada was coming over with 30,000 troops. There was no land army in, in, in the UK. So luckily there was a storm that mm -hmm. wrecked the whole fleet and England was saved. But what people don't realise is there was three armadas and the second armada was destroyed by another storm. And the third armada, and each one was bigger than the previous, was destroyed again. So why do you explain that in the, in the history books, that the three armadas were all obliterated by a storm? And we're not talking about, you know, these are experienced sailors Mm -hmm. Spain would go down to South America and bring gold bullion back for fun. Yeah. But, uh, to, but to simply cross it over, you know, from the Bay of Biscay, well... Couldn't get there. Makes one wonder, yeah. It does. Are you suggesting, Dennis, that these islands are the epicentre of world evil? Because I've often thought that that no, might I'm, be the case. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying that the epicentre is, is the city of London. I agree with you. 
<laughs> You're absolutely right. We have to zone right in. Let's be specific, ladies and gentlemen. It's the City of London first prize. Yeah. You just want to bag but, a toughie. Not then, London, as we know it, the City of London, yes. which has its own police force and has its own laws. Doesn't pay any after tax, if any tax at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, different. It's a different country in the UK, just like Washington in yep. the States and, and the Vatican, Vatican City. Yes. Yeah. I haven't got a job there. Do you, have you ever had a job there, uh, Dennis, in the city of London? I can't remember me having a job, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to I could say the same thing, but you said it first, so I don't want to steal your lines, but I'm a similar yeah. sort of path. Um, yeah. let's, should we have, let's have the, your second song. I think we'll do that right now. We're about you know, 15, 20 minutes into the second hour. Yeah, uh, we're here on WBN324.zil. We're also going out over Speak Free Radio and uh, Free Fall Radio out of South Africa. We're also on Rumble. I'm also doing a test stream on another video platform, which, uh, if it all works out today, we'll start using it next week. We'll add it to the little tree of uh, uh, points, and that's the one that we were touching upon last week, the peer-to-peer network stuff, so that's looking pretty good. Um, I'm here with Dennis Wise. Uh, we'll be here. Well, I'm here every every Thursday, and we've still got about forty minutes or so to go. Anyway, this is your um, this is your second pick. Now, th- if if anybody knows you a bit, they'll kind of know that you were going to pick something by this chap. But this is a shout out to Dave Gaharry, who I also who who is the publisher of your videos, is he not? And uh, yes, uh, I don't know if this is public knowledge, so. Uh, uh, he needs to brace himself, but I've heard. In fact, this he told me this himself that he's a massive fan of this guy, which is tremendous. Uh, and I'm a massive fan of some of his work, not all of it, but I, I'm a fan of some of it. Um, but he's also a great Elvis impersonator. There you go. I've just given the name away, but he is. He's a great impersonator of this guy. <laughs> so, Dave, this one's for you, courtesy of Dennis. Okay, here we go. <laughs> She's whispering her magic 
Hey Dennis, I like that one better than the first one. I have to tell you, I know the first one meant something, but why that one? Why that one? Well, that that one also means something. It's it's uh, the song which uh, you could say is me and my wife's uh, favorite one. Nice. Was that a honeymoon thing? Uh, you don't really can't remember honeymoon. Probably not. No, we probably went over courting. Well, you know what? Here, listen. I've never. I. I think I've probably heard that years ago. But the sound quality and it was fantastic. <laughs> was really good. And uh, I got a message from uh, Dave Gaharry, who uh, uh, sent me a thing. And I said, uh, "Elvis is on just for you." He says, "I heard he's driving around somewhere." So shout out to you, Dave. <laughs> Hope you didn't crash or anything. Um, I said, "Or oh, is that you doing an impersonation?" He says, "I could never be that good." 
I said, I said practice. He said, no, it's genetics. He said, it's all down to, <laughs> to genetics. Well, Dave, if I get you on here in a few months' time, we'll have to do some of your recordings of you doing that song or whatever. So I'm sorry about that. We're going we're gonna to have to do that. <laughs> you see, we, we're giving people cake. another side of people here. You get some different stuff on this show. It's just not all the heavy stuff. That's what we're trying to do tonight, uh, some stuff. Been a lot of comments coming in on the Rumble chat. I don't know if you can see it, Dennis. Are you, can you see the Rumble chat at all? Probably you can't, can you? I probably haven't oh, sent you the link. Oh. Let me send it to you because we still got some. I'll just send it to you on Skype, and then you can have a look at them if you want to. Because okay. there's so many, so many to read out. Um, you'll just need to mute it when you come in. Otherwise, we're going to get echo whizzing back from the thing. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, lots of comments about Rick Wakeman not taking enough LSD. I don't know about that. That's a bit naughty, <laughs> but. Uh, and that he's a lodge member, and that if he did, the music in the lodge would be better. I've completely mangled that comment, by the way, but that was pretty good. Someone asked earlier about what you would think. It was Vox, I think. I'm just trying to find it. Uh, oh, no, it's uh, not Vox. It's Exo wrote, this is a little while back. What state does Dennis think England struck the UK would be in today if Churchill had never existed on the planet? What do you think? Uh, uh I would imagine they, they wouldn't be far away from where they were anyway. I don't think it was just down to Churchill. If yeah. Churchill wouldn't have been there, there would have been another Churchill, if you, if you like. Yeah. I think they would. They'd always got someone to fill in. I mean, one of the one of these salient points, I think David Irving put this out years ago, this thing about all these peace offers that were sent to this nation during that time, the end of the 30s, yep. 39 of them, something like that. There's a lot of them. There's over three dozen peace and the terms of the peace are just excellent and outstanding. Complete non-desire to get involved in a war with us again. Uh, and, of course, Churchill's agents intercepted the lot, and they never met or got into the ears or the eyes of the British public. No doubt, you know, the Lodge would be involved with all of that suppression, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm just looking through some of the comments, like somebody was saying, like... Uh what is it saying? I don't know. Uh, they mentioned weather control, but they mentioned something about the bands being crap the ones that really get on which is true you know you, you, yeah. i don't think it comes down to being talented i think uh if you're talented enough yeah and you go through the door then the doors open the rest of all the doors open for you yeah i think you're right yeah it's a funny thing the music industry it's I, i'm attached to certain bands because i grew up with them and they're sort of wound into your dna almost that you, you you associate just you know music's such a powerful thing here you are you've picked two tracks that mean a great deal to you and i've got some i mean i remember i can't remember what we danced to when i got married but it's ridiculous i'd never listened to it all before but my wife wanted it played. It's not the sort of music I even like. But because it was done on that day, it's burnt into my head. You know, I can't get it. I can't get it out now. I don't grumble about it because it was a great day. Everybody should get married, by the way, regularly. I think just so you can have a big gig and get everybody together. It's such a fantastic thing. Um, yeah. Well, I've, I've just seen some right <coughs> bloody Sunday about the Bromberg massacre. Well, we all know what Bono Bono's just running around with the mm -hmm. people at the World uh, World Health Organization. <laughs> UN and yeah. thinks he's a politician. Think about that. <laughs> just to let you know, your mic, your mic's got a little bit near to your mouth. You just it's just blowing a little bit. I'm just look at look at me being fussy, but I'm just helping you sound amazing. That's what I want to do, Dennis. So it just got a little near your mouth. Is that okay? Yeah, these, these, yeah, yeah, yeah. These comments are fascinating. Yeah, look at look at people. They can actually write. 
It's outrageous, you lot. They call it well, the actually time. Right. They're brilliant. They're, it's excellent, and it's growing all the time. This, so it's wonderful. So, yeah, a big shout out to all you listeners. It's fantastic how it's building up. Mr. Yeah. Sussexman knows his stuff, I think. Oh, he does, and and uh, I'm not to tell you, but I know Sus I know Sussexman is, and he's a top bloke. You'd like him. I'll I'll introduce you at some point. He's a top bloke. Yeah, I can see his yeah. comments are worthy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I've had lots of conversations with Sussex Man in private. Sorry about that, Sussex Man, but it's true, and you know, <laughs> you know it. Um, and uh, yeah, Francis Bacon. Now, he's the guy that wrote um, that thing about Atlantis and, and America, didn't he? Do you remember that? The new, the new Atlantis? Yeah, yeah, the new Atlantis, yeah. So, I mean, if he's involved in all this kind of stuff, which he probably is, you know, if you look at the long-term unfolding of America, it's become this... Um, what they probably always planned for it to become, I suppose. This, you know, well, the melting pot idea, of course, was introduced by what Zangwill in the early eighteen hundred, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. A complete nonsensical idea. It wasn't meant to be a melting pot at all, but it's become that. And of course, they've used it, you know, in part now to. This is our. I've often thought that America, although it's got this defined sense of what it is or had, it's suffering just as we all are now in the European countries. Um, it's become this sort of melange, this blending of everything, you know, on the basis of that. And no doubt it's the same hand. I, I know it's the same hand, but I'm just phrasing it Well, Freemasonry is behind all the race mixing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kudinov Kalergi, mm -hmm. uh, who wrote yeah. about practical idealism. But even before then, uh, after World War One, they sent the German, the German black uh, colony soldiers into the Rhineland with the... Uh, with weapons to do whatever they wanted with, with the white German girls. And yeah. again, in the secret Masonic victory, I explain. Yeah. You still there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I misread the pause. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, the race mixing thing, of course, has got, it is... It's incrementally being ramped up, slowly but surely. I mean, I've mentioned it here before. I'm sure most of the listeners don't. This is not new to anybody. But the, the advertising on what passes for British television these days is just ridiculous. I mean, it's just a ridiculous idea. It's literally an agenda to blend everybody together and to create the new normal by the way that people are absorbing the medium. Um, and no doubt... Unfortunately, it is being progressively effective in bringing that about. Um, the thing is, it's not so much that we can fight against that, but it's positing the actual true way. I mean, I've mentioned it before. In my view, I have to phrase it like that. We can't get too strident, I suppose. But nearly all, well, not nearly all, all the races are fundamentally better off when they're separated out from any of the other races because you learn the best and the most and the most valuable lessons from people of your own race because you're like... You're the same instrument, as it were. You vibrate and resonate to the same things in a similar way, and that's necessary for, for cohesion. And, of course, that's not what the enemy wants. They don't want a cohesive people, whether it's us or anyone. I don't think they want that amongst any any groups. Well, that that was the, the, the teaching of uh, National Socialism, where they weren't racist as such. They just brought out a certain laws to protect their race, uh, but taught that all races should, should raise themselves. Uh, you know, hence why there were so many of a different different races fought for for Germany during World War Two, which was again shown in uh, the greatest story never told. Yes. 
Well, that, you know, it was interesting. We're talking about the Waffen SS, right? Big thing. Mm-hmm. Every every yep. race or every nation had men in it. And it was an interesting thing that Napoleon's situation was the same. Now, whether it came about so easily, I don't know. But when he took 650,000 men into Russia, which is huge, I mean, that's mm-hmm. 200 and, <laughs> 209 years ago, or whatever it is, 10 years ago, right? 1812, long time ago, 212 years ago, they were made up from all over the place. I've, you know, and the idea that I want well, what, what strikes me about that, and it's the same, of course, in 1941 when Germany went in, is they walked. Oh, we've got some horses and we've got some legs, and we're going to walk there. Yeah, it's outrageous when you think. What you're going to walk to Moscow? Yeah, we're going to walk there. And, um, you know, I think that there's all sorts of people want to talk about the tactical reasons about why it failed. I mean, when you look at the reasons why he went in, it made sense. Alexander was mucking about with the British again and breaking an agreement, a formal agreement he'd made with him. So you go, okay, yeah, you know, they were best friends when they met on that barge and they had a big kiss and they all loved one another. And then Alexander goes, book of that, I'm just going to, I want the British money, of course. And there were apps, I mean, there's some books somewhere that talk about the amount of money that was coming out of Pitt, who was the British Prime Minister at the time, to fund every other army in Europe against Napoleon, Austria, the lot, all of them. And so it's obviously with the technology of the time. But to walk in there and to walk back, obviously not many walked back. They lost basically 12 out of every 13 men, which is, yeah. you know, devastating, really. Um, well, not really. It actually was, you know. It, it was the end for them, even though he managed to recover an army three years later to fight Waterloo. But it's it's a similar pattern of defending what they'd built. Um, against and, uh, the coalition. Yeah, against a coalition, absolutely a series of coalitions, seven I think there were, or something like that, non-stop. You know, they have a big scrap, and then eighteen months go by, they get another one organised, and they go again until they've beaten it down. And uh, I think it's Mike, um, is it Mike King, the guy that did Tomato Bubble? I think I've got his name right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. One of his, he, he's got a lovely little synopsis book on Napoleon. It's only about a hundred pages long. It's well worth reading. He's very good at condensing salient facts into very readable and digestible form and he one of his ideas that's in there which i like is that he suggests that napoleon was fighting both the new world order and the old world order at the same time the old world order being the monarchies who were uh, anxious that this republican idea that the people getting some power would rock into their country and undermine them which is understandable i understand that yeah if you're a king and you're used to a certain way of doing things you're not going to be too happy about that if the french are kicking off and having whatever it is they think they've got i mean they certainly didn't get liberty fraternity egality that was a complete nonsense of course and that was implanted by the enemy but um and then he was also fighting the bankers <laughs> he really was fighting yeah. the bankers as usual you know, yeah as usual every every single time the bankers and so, you know, and that's why this country, to a great degree, here we are, 1694, the Bank of England rocks up, turns up, and, and there must have been backhanders everywhere. There just must have been, you know. Yeah, it's the Cromwell thing, isn't it? Cromwell let, let them back in again. Mm-hmm. And uh, he needed the war financing in Ireland. Yeah. They had the money. Yeah. And the rest is history. The rest so, is history. Yeah, it is. Plus the fact that people don't realise that... Uh, the Irish Catholics were some of the first white slaves that were sent to the West Indies. Huge numbers were sent. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yes, there were black slaves, but white slaves also. 
They were forced to interbreed, weren't they? They were forced to uh, interbreed. I, 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 that will not surprise me. No, they were. I don't have the documents here, but I know that they were. And there's even accounts of the African slaves taking pity, if that's the right phrase, uh, being uh, on the Irish slaves who were treated far, far worse and going down to where they were and taking food to them and things like this. There are incidents like that. That's how bad it was. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I've often, I've always thought that really the war of Lo of the city of London against the people of Ireland is a Masonic war. Absolutely. I mean, that's how well, I see it. the empire again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which is nothing to do with us English types, everybody out there who seems to have a go at us every now and again. Well, yeah, um, I mean, like I've, I've found out over the years, I've lived over here for a long time now, you know, that the English people are fine. It's just that they're hoodwinked mm -hmm. uh, by, this, by this elite who... Uh, up until the COVID, like you know, got away with a lot more. Still getting away with, you know, most things, but the COVID thing has opened a lot of people's eyes. If not yet enough, I would have thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially to the communism feel of everything. Especially to that, yeah. Especially to that. I mean, the link between capitalism and communism is a big jump for a lot of people to make. They don't see it, but same it's obvious that it's two-sided. Yeah. And communism is the ultimate expression of capitalism in that you're controlling an entire nation through an income tax system. Um, and you've got them. Yeah, you've just got the, you've got everybody. And, of course, they, they, there was all this talk, wasn't there, in the 90s, the 1990s, about interdependence, which is another way of getting you dependent on another nation, and therefore you're threatenable. Whereas here yeah. we are as an island race, we could literally live self-sufficiently without the interference or the approach of anybody else. I'm not saying that I want that. I think, you know, we want to... Go. I'm, I view myself as a British European because we're all part of the same race, and it's important. I don't want to see any of the nations of Europe go down the way that we're... But we're all going down in the same way at the moment. It's all going one way in all, the same all way. All the white countries. Yes, but we're not allowed to say that. But we are here, and we do say it. Only the white countries. There's no one else. Yeah. The COVID thing no. is only directed at the white countries. I don't, I'm not even fussed about what goes on anywhere else. It's not that I don't care for their well-being. It's that we haven't got a capacity to do that because our own people are being basically mopped up all the time. You know, this is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any listeners, if you want to pitch in, we've got about 20 minutes left to go. If you want to call in, you can. Uh, in fact, as I say that, I see that somebody has rocked up. It's our music maestro. I'm going to bring him in in a second. But if you want to call in and put a question or a comment to Dennis, you can do. Um, just go over to um, paulenglishlive.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L. -L. It'll bring you into the studio. You'll be on mute when you arrive, but we'll see you. paulenglishlive.com forward slash call call c-a-double-n and you'll come in but uh, i did mention to you dennis that uh, our mixing genius who is uh uh paul beaner or paul b is here and uh paul we've played the b mixes of you welcome to the show how are you i'm good i'm good thank you um yeah and they turned out pretty tasty didn't they <laughs> they turned out very good. Have you have you called in so that you can receive lots of praise for the? They were great. No, the set, no, no. You, can, I think you need to. I love this. I was saying earlier. I think it's fantastic that someone says, "Can we get that song?" And you just rock up with, oh, "I've remixed that." It only took a few seconds or whatever. The, I really like the Elvis song. It sounded fabulous. You know, it, it really did. did. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So we like you for that one, Dennis. I wasn't so hot on George mm -hmm. McRae. Okay, but I understand where you put it. <laughs> Why yeah, but George McRae, it was it was good for the first half hour. 
it was good for the first break because it was laid back and it was soulful and it, it was fun. It worked. It was. It was really good. Speaking of the first hour, um, yeah. you had mentioned that, um, and you had asked, uh, like you were talking about meeting with people in the pubs and things like that and talking about this, that, and the other thing. And you seem to be able to, to get and hold their attention while you're talking about a topic, but then they seem to revert back to before that discussion. And I think largely what you were discovering there is that you were, you were dealing with the difference between the conscious and the subconscious mind. The conscious mind is what, what engages in the conversation and, and acts on the logical and the intellectual level, where over time the subconscious is continually feeding the repetitious programming. Um, Hitler was, was a horrible individual and he killed six million people and this, that, and the other thing. And those, those subconscious items sneak into the conscious and turn it back to the predictive programming that the person had been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to, the only way you're going to address that is to actually deal with the subconscious programming so it reprograms the conscious in truth instead of fiction. And that's my thoughts on it. You know, I'm not a neuroscientist and I don't even play one on TV, but that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, it, I think it's a process. I mean, I. I don't know about you, Dennis. I've, I'm like that in certain topics. I can't think of any. I always think I'm, you know, I'm super conscious about everything, but that's complete horse manure because uh, the truth is that I may find something in a couple of weeks' time that invalidate ideas that have been floating around in my head for a long time, and it's it's difficult at times. You go, no, that can't be right. You know, Paul McCartney didn't have his head chopped off in a car accident in 1965 and all that kind of stuff, and it couldn't have possibly been Billy Shears or whatever. But you sit and look at these things if you spend time at them, and suddenly you go, I think I need to probably ask a few questions here. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, Hollywood is uh, one of the greatest tools uh they're that good at predictive programming, and you can watch a, a war film, and uh, it's done in such a way that you 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 actually believe you're seeing what you're seeing is true, uh, and so that's that's a big a big thing what they've used to their advantage. I th- isn't it the case that the mind really can't make too much difference between like projection and reality? I think that's why yeah, cinema is so powerful. Well, yeah. That's why we get yeah. immersed in it. We get, we do get. Our consciousness is transported, you know, and it's that it's that case that the imagination, one's imagination, is real. It's as real as a real thing. You affect yourself through it. You know, you're having certain thoughts. You're envisaging goals and things that you want, or you're not. You know, and everything that we see around us, everything, including obviously the current state of our wonderful world, is a result of the thinking that has acted upon it. The house I'm in, somebody thought it up and designed it, and then some other men thought they'd go to work and build it. Same for everybody else. So everything we see is a result of thought. And I'm just going back to that clip. I can't remember the Irish name, you know, but it, it is. We, we fight with thinking, which is encouraging for us, I think. You know, I think it's an encouraging thing. Um, we have another attendee here, Dennis, in the room, um, who has uh, okay. just joined us, and I'm just going to unmute him. Pale, welcome to the show. How are you? 
Hello, Paul. Yes, thank you very much. I hope you can hear me and uh, thank you for giving me a chance to talk to Dennis. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a particular have question? A particular yeah. question? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah, Ooh. Dennis, uh, thank you for your Hi. Uh, Hi. work. Um, it's a great honour to have a chance to talk to you. Uh, I see your um, work uh, cited all over the place and it's thank recommended you. by everybody. Can you, uh, there are a lot of content creators now who'd like to emulate you. Can you give any suggestions or advice to people who'd like to make uh, documentaries themselves? And uh, Yeah, well, there's, there's well, been one or two, one or two. Uh, who've uh, kind of followed up what I was doing. Uh, Impartial Truth is one that springs to mind. Uh, you can find videos of his on... Uh, uh, Odyssey, which is probably the only channel I'm, <coughs> I'm banned from BitChute. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so Odyssey really for me uh, is where I can uh, find the stuff or you can find my documentaries and styles, different styles. Uh, but other, other than that, uh, what I used in The Greatest Story, for instance, was the power of music. I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but uh, the levels of, uh, you know, um, the type of music I use and, uh, and you know, the levels, different levels of uh, sadness and of triumph uh, worked to treat in that documentary, really did. Well, thank you very much. Yes, very, very judiciously muting of yourself there, Pale, as you detected that we were getting an echo back from you. My, uh, it's the great accompaniment to live radio, Dennis. So that was, that was great. So oh, yeah, right. Odyssey. We've talked about Odyssey here before because it is in deep trouble, as you're probably aware. Um, if you're not, um, it is because they lost the SEC were brought in to uh, have a go at them over some filing or some way they were using their internal digital um, cryptocurrency. Uh, and the details of it are not relevant. All, all I think that's relevant is that it was earmarked for something like that because it is a free space and they're using the blockchain, you know, to to manhandle and move information around, which is good of right. them and everything. But uh, I think they filed for bankruptcy. Uh, I don't know when. Somebody told me the other day, but I, I was under the impression that this had happened quite a while ago, uh, certainly during towards the back end of last year. Uh, and as I mentioned here a little bit earlier, and as we were discussing last week, technically, uh, we're looking at something else. Uh, it's an open source project to, to basically assist people to field videos in a way where um, uh, the higher-ups can't interfere so rapidly. They can still interfere. I mean, uh, I've no doubt about that at all. I mean, I've mentioned here before that, you know, people that are into cryptography and passwords, they say, well, I've got this really fantastic password, and it's all this, that, and the other. And you go, and no one's going to get into my stuff. And I point out to them that what actually happens is you get a knock on the door and someone puts a gun to your head. And they say, give me your passwords. And you go, yeah, all right, then. And it's all over. So the, the idea is to play a sort of ducking and diving and dodging game. It might seem a bit ridiculous, but um, it kind of works up to a, you know, we have to think like gorillas and not like massed armies, if, if that's the case. We're more and more isolated, aren't we? This is well, we thing. are, yeah. We are. It's, it's definitely the case. It's a slow, steady, relentless squeeze on the space. You can feel it. But then there are these other things that are taking place. I mean... Um, I don't. Do you get a lot of sort of updates and reports and things from all over the place about terrible things that are happening all the time? I mean, I do. Telegram's swimming in the stuff, you know. 
Well, I, I don't link to, to Telegram or, or the others, but I do I, I do follow certain people, uh, and uh, they send links obviously by email. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's that's the way that I, I get to know things, or yeah. one way I get to know things. Yeah. I think I probably need something like Memory Hole, the Memory Hole radio show, where we try to keep a track of everything that's gone down the Memory Hole because it's so fast. You remember the, I've mentioned this before, you remember the, uh, what was it, in Hawaii, everything burning up? Anybody remember that? Where was that? Autumn, was it, or something? It's just yeah. there's something new, major. Now it's, you know, Habad Lubavitch is coming out of tunnels. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying that there's non-stop disturbing stuff all the time, relentlessly. And, of course, we've got the great, wonderful climate nonsense which is you know they must realize they must know don't you think that if they just keep bombarding people for long enough people will end up believing anything i mean well you have to, true. It, it is true yeah and people do believe that you know if we don't do something drastic that the world will come to an end but this has been thought up by the rockefellers years ago <laughs> and, the, and the reason the reason to do it is because uh if this new world order comes about, there'll be no more wars. And if there's no more wars, certain sections of society aren't making any money. And so to compensate this loss of revenue, they're going to tax everybody to the hilt. They are. And you will have noticed, everybody must have noticed, that there's literally no voices of opposition anywhere in the political class in any of the Western Hemisphere. Hardly any. No. Well, like Klaus Schwab said, he's... Is happy with the infiltration of all the governments, which is no doubt true. I know. I wonder who's his boss. That's the guy we got to get to. But he'll probably have a he'll probably have a boss as well. You see, he'll have a boss. Yeah, boss upon boss oh. upon boss. Um, yeah, have the, you the have you seen factor. that film? Have you have either of you seen the film The Great Taking? The, the documentary, Great actually. Taking. No, I haven't, Paul. You seen it, Dennis? No. Oh, no. Oh, no. You, Oh, you have got to check that out. It's uh, uh, thegreattakingfilm.com, I think. It is a documentary on how everything is... You think that you own your car. You think that you own your house. But the only thing you have is beneficial ownership. You don't have actual and true ownership. And the ones that have actual and true ownership are planning on flipping the switch and everything from everyone that's going to be the first step of supplementing their income because of the lack of wars to generate profits the first thing they're going to do is take literally take everything from everyone and the plan is already in place all they have to do is flip a switch the great taking movie or the great taking film you can uh, find it on rumble just search for The Great Taking on Rumble. Okay. And the yeah. best copy of that film that I have seen on Rumble is the one that's on the Children's Health Defense channel. They right. they have the best quality copy. Check it out <laughs> because yeah. you're both going to freak when you see it. Oh, I, I, you, I might not, Paul. I've, I've seen so much stuff. <laughs> so, I, my big freaking was back in the 90s when it all fell in my head and I went, and uh, it just, you know, the whole of the normal well, did, world was, was negated for me, basically. That's what did, happened. Didn't Schwab say, you'll have nothing and be happy? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that's we're fine. talking about stocks, <laughs> bonds, 
yeah. property deeds, uh, title registrations for vehicles, um, retirement accounts, bank mm. accounts, everything. But you People see, we will wake up one day and have nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think on a practical sense, in terms of them doing these things practically each day, obviously they have the upper hand because there's huge drones of people are going to keep doing this because they have to get paid at the end of the month. So the question is, coming back to that old chestnut, do you have any ideas about what do you think is the paths that we should be taking to annihilate the bank in its current form? How would we go about doing that is it possible to do it my my thing is that irrespective of whatever goals we may set that's the one i've always cherished ever since i understood the tr the true nature of that banking effectively undermines everybody's valuable efforts it just it strips everybody of things in a way that they're not even aware of but anything that we set up in motion to communicate like we're doing now we have to bear in mind that these spaces are bound to be infiltrated. That's fine. Hello, infiltrators. Not that they're necessarily here yet, but you get the idea. It's going to happen. Um, they have a ways of undermining organisations and redirecting them. I mean, most of the alternative media, to my mind, is an alternative to nothing because it's just a, another level of fear-mongering with everybody absorbing it, going, now I really know. I go, well, this is great that we all really know, and I really know, and we all really know. But what we don't know is what we're supposed to do to affect it. How do we deal with that? You know, and I, um, I'm, we're all scratching our heads. This sense of frustration about things is palpable. I think it's good. It is to me. Um, I think it's good that people are frustrated because it shows that there's a requirement, a need, a desire building up. And that's good. It's how we can marshal that energy in the proper ways without going down the political route, it seems to me, as you'll just... Anybody we send into that arena will just be consumed by it. Or am I just being wet? Is there another way of dealing with it, you know? It's difficult because I think, you know, they want conflict. You know, uh, mm -hmm. they, they've got the weaponry. Yep. Certainly, certainly over in Europe, uh, in America, okay, there's guns over there, but they've still got, they've got weaponry themselves. Uh, it's difficult. I mean, even non-compliance, do they really care? You know, I mean, I, I can't believe people still vote. <laughs> do they? <laughs> I well, can't either. They tell, us, they, they tell us they do. I mean, who knows? But I mean, uh, I, I find it difficult that people, uh, you know, go out in all kinds of weather and, and put an X on a piece of paper, which really is just a big gone. Is the, is the restoration of a true church a path? I'm beginning to think more and more that the time is coming for that. And I know it's a really tricky word. Right now, if you just heard me say the word church and you slightly, slightly gagged and went, what? I completely understand because there's an aspect to it that's nonsense, what I've just said. But there's another aspect, which is that this really is a spiritual war. And where are we going to get our leadership from? How are we to deal with this? The fact, in the history of these islands anyway, our people have only really organize themselves when they're under that flag, when they know it, when they deal with it in that particular way, even though we know that all the churches are being chewed up from within. Um, the Methodists have just come out with some complete nonsense last week about you no longer to refer to husband and wife, but this, that, and they go, why? And it's this compliance with this adjustment of the language, which is the slow creep creep of the readjusting of the brain, isn't it? If you can't use these words, we can't describe the world we want to live in. We're being denied that. Or they're saying there'll be penalties if you start talking like that. Come so on. it is, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what they did, you know, in Russia. They began to shut that you can't say certain words. So you limit yeah, the ability the, the, of people to think. 
The next thing is to open all the prisons as they did in the Soviet Union and cause Don't say that, Dennis. I think about that every other month and it's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean the, the amount of Muslims imprisoned at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people are actually going to prison and changing their religion to get protection because the Muslims all stick together. Well, you open all the prisons up and suddenly you've got a mass of Muslims who yeah. have, been, have seen the destruction of Iraq, the destruction of Libya, destruction of wherever, uh, fueled by this, you know, uh, attempt to uh, destroy the people what who they see as the destroyers, is is uh, it's chaos waiting. It's all cheery news here tonight, now, isn't it? <laughs> well, you just look at the Soviet <laughs> Union and, and I know, and I know your roadmap. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in America, Paul, what's your pr- prison population in America? It's colossal, isn't it? It's huge. It's it's absolutely huge and, and it's an industry many, really, isn't it? It's well, an industrial process to get cheap labor in prisons. Part of it, isn't it? Well, of course Slave, it is, because that's that's what the Thirteenth Amendment is all about. Except by uh, as punishment for a crime. I mean, it says so right in the Thirteenth Amendment. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you can't make this up, but. I don't know. I've, if churches start to get on board with the reorganization and rearrangement of the language, maybe people should get on board with rearrangement of the church they go to. Well, they need to. I mean, there's a thousand, over a thousand denominations of Christianity, which tells you one thing, that they're all wrong. Right. They're all infiltrated. They're all ro- they must all be mistaken to a greater or lesser degree. And in my view, they're nearly all mistaken totally because they don't... I'm going to go back to that quote from Ford. Most people read the Bible with spect- with Jewish spectacles and therefore read it wrong. And this is true. And, unless, you know, we're going to cover Ford. I'm going to be going into Ford over the next couple of months in a big way. I want to really cover some of the things he wrote and what came out of his space because it's very, very important to what's going on. And, of course, there's a man with a lot of money, a lot of resources, lots of good men around him who did a lot, but still they managed to squish that down. There's something else is required. Um, You mentioned earlier divine intervention, Dennis, and I'm really in that camp. I don't know exactly what I mean by that, but I know that we we need something on an epic scale, and we need it really a spark in people's hearts to set people on fire. We're down to the last couple of minutes, so the music will be kicking in, the, the wind-out music, any second now. Um, so, uh, Dennis, if, I'll leave the floor to you. If there's anything you'd like to say to wind up for now, that, that would be great. Well, basically, it's, uh, you know, I just wish everybody out there uh, the best because we, I think we're going to face some torrid times. That's not to say that we won't win in the end. Uh, you know, I mean... There were different times when divine intervention took place. One of them, to me, was Joan of Arc, a 14-year-old girl, leading mm-hmm. the French against against the English English army. Uh, that's just one one occasion. So we live in hope. We live in hope. We do. We live in hope. Paul, any last words for this section of the show? If you're looking for a church, look for one that's not a 501c3 and look up the difference between a church and an ecclesia. E-C-L-E-S-I-A. Yeah. 
Uh, original definition of a church, a meeting of the elders to discuss the affairs of state. There is no separation between church and state. It's a body where we enact and obey the law. I think we all know about that. Thank you very much, uh, Dennis, for being with us. We've got to do this again. It's wonderful. We barely scratched the surface. It's been fantastic. We'll probably carry on streaming on Rumble and elsewhere, but here on WBN324, we're coming to an end. Thanks very much, and we'll see you here same time next week, 3 p.m. US, 8 p.m. in the UK on WBN324.zil. Bye for now, everyone. (laughs) 